So I thought I would start today off with a little fun fact. According to the U.S. Department of Fish and Game, while both male and female reindeer grow antlers in the summer each year, male reindeers drop their antlers at the beginning of the winter, usually late November to mid-December. Female reindeer, however, retain their antlers until after they give birth in the spring. Therefore, according to every historical rendition depicting Santa's reindeer, every single one of them, from Rudolph to Blitzen, had to be female. The comment was included, we should have known this when they were able to find their way. <laughs> Just saying. Amen. And speaking of women being able to find their way, today we journey with Mary. While the sounds and smell of Christmas are near, this morning we take a walk with Mary into a Judean town in the hill country. Mary could have been getting away for a while so the dust could settle after the big announcement that she is carrying the Son of God in her womb. When she arrives at her cousin Elizabeth's house, she finds her, and this is my, uh, my thinking of how she found her, she probably found her with her back turned, perhaps making some bread for Zechariah. And then when Elizabeth turns around, they are both overjoyed and full of awe and excitement. The little baby nestled inside of Elizabeth's womb leapt and perhaps kicked her like she had never kicked her before. Now, ladies, imagine for just a moment that you are around 14 years old, you can remember that, and you are a virgin and you are pregnant. And then you walk into your great-grandmother's house, and I'm saying great-grandmother because that's like the age of Elizabeth. You walk into your great-grandmother, not just your grandmother, your great-grandmother's house, only to find what looks like a huge basketball in her tummy. She is pregnant. I think, gentlemen, you could imagine what it would be like, too, for you to walk into your great-grandmother's house to find her pregnant. It would be absolutely unbelievable for us. It would seem as though something impossible has been made possible. A 14-year-old virgin is expecting a child and goes to visit her really old cousin, only to find her pregnant. Impossible, right? Before the two of them had their reunion, you can imagine that both of them probably felt very isolated and unsure. They lived in a world where old ladies were not supposed to get pregnant, and neither were young ones who were not married. They lived in a world where human life was held really cheap, a world that eventually took the lives of both of their children first John, and then Jesus. And yes, they lived in a world like our world that did not understand 
the ways of God. And yet we find in this picturesque narrative between Mary and Elizabeth that together they were known more fully and begin to see more clearly who God is. It's like a beautiful woven tapestry where two stories are woven together to show us something really beautiful about the impossibility of God. We can see right before our eyes and hear in their conversation how God removed their isolation and gave them both something that they did not have before, connection. Elizabeth's life is tied to Mary's in a way that neither one of them saw coming. In their very old age, Elizabeth is carrying a prophet that will baptize people for repentance and make a way for the Lord, the same Lord that is inside of Mary's womb. Just think, Elizabeth's baby while in utero, while in utero, responded with joy to the presence of God. The text doesn't just say that the baby leapt. Elizabeth says that he leapt for joy. Who are we to say that babies don't or can't respond to the presence of God? We experience the magnificent creator working through Elizabeth as she becomes a prophet herself and as she utters a prophetical blessing for Mary. She proclaims Mary's blessedness and relishes in the impossibility of what God has. Oh, sorry, pages are out of order. There we go. Of what God has done and for her cousin Mary. And then Mary responds with a bold proclamation and she sings a song. The song that we all call the Magnificat. The song that we heard the beautiful choir singing this morning. It almost seems like Elizabeth's excitement this morning spills over to Mary and empowers her to sing an incredible song which exalts God as Savior. When you hold the two women side by side, you are able to see something really incredible. Over here, you have Elizabeth, who would be considered a geriatric patient, not able to have a child because she's far too old. And over here, you have Mary, a virgin, not able to have a child, well, because she's a virgin. And both of these scenarios seem impossible. Yet when we look closer and when we zoom in, we can see the impossibility of God who came to save the entire world is being realized in this very moment. We have two very ordinary women, one old and one young. They were both poor and lowly very ordinary people. God chose a lowly servant to bind himself to us, to come into the world to save us and redeem us. We tend to think that God looks with favor on all of our accomplishments, 
But the reality is, he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. God comes to us in our broken, and our empty, low lives. Even if you've never accomplished one thing in your life, God will, would have still come to save you and to save the world. And preparing for today, I read an incredible story that I wanted to share with you about two Americans in 1994 who answered an invitation from the Russian Department of Education to teach moral and ethics to uh, the public schools based on biblical principles. They were also invited to teach in prisons and businesses and to the fire and the police departments and specifically this one large orphanage. About 100 boys and girls had been abandoned, abused, and left in the care of the government-run program. They related the following story in their own words. We were in the midst of Advent season, and we thought it was time for our orphans to hear for the first time the traditional story of Christmas. We told them about God choosing Mary to carry Jesus and how her and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem. Finding no room in the inn, the couple went to a stable where the baby Jesus was born and placed in a manger. Throughout the stories, the children in the orphanage and the workers and the staff sat in amazement as they listened to this story for the very first time. Some sat in the edges of their stools and the children were peered in as they gave the children three small pieces of cardboard to make a little manger for themselves. Each child was given a small paper square cut from a yellow napkin that this gentleman had brought with him because there was no colored paper. They got yellow. And following the instructions, the children tore the paper carefully and laid strips in the manger to look like straw. Some small squares of flannel were cut from an old nightgown, and they were used to make a little baby blanket for tiny baby Jesus. And a tall, a doll-like baby was cut from tan felt. The orphans were busy assembling their mangers. This gentleman that was teaching walked around to see if they needed any help while they were busy doing their craft. All went well until this gentleman got to one table where little Misha sat. And he looked to be about six years old and had finished his project. The man says, I looked at the little boy's manger. I was startled to see not one, but two babies in the manger. Quickly, he called over for the translator to ask the lad where the two, why he had two little babies in the manger. And crossing his arms in front of him and looking at his completed manger scene, the child began to repeat the story very seriously. For such a young little guy who had heard the Christmas story for only one time for the first time, he related the happening so accurately until he came to the part where Mary put the tiny baby Jesus in the manger. 
Then Misha started to ad-lib. He made up his own ending to the story as he said, And when Maria had laid the baby in the manger, Jesus looked at me and he asked me if I had a place to stay. I told him, I have no mama and I have no papa, so I don't have a place to stay. Then Jesus told me I could stay with him. But I told him I couldn't because I didn't have a gift to bring him like everybody did. But I wanted to stay with Jesus so much. So I thought about it. And I thought that maybe I could use something for a gift. I thought maybe if I could keep him warm, that would be a good gift. So I asked Jesus, if I keep you warm, will that be a good enough gift? And Jesus told me, if you keep me warm, that will be the best gift anybody could ever give me. So I got into the manger and then Jesus looked at me and he told me that I could stay with him for always. As little Misha finished his story, his eyes brimmed full of tears that splashed down his little cheeks. Putting his hand over his face, his little head dropped to the table and his shoulders shook as he sobbed and sobbed. The little lowly boy, an orphan who somebody had tossed to the side, had found the savior of the world and that tiny baby that morning. Misha had found the savior of the world and knew in Jesus that he had somebody that would never abandon nor abuse. Somebody who would stay with him forever. Like Misha, like Mary, and like Elizabeth, we have that same Savior who came to show us mercy and scatter the proud, to lift up the lowly and fill the hungry with good things. For the mighty one has, great, has done great things for me. The mighty one has done great things for you. And holy is his name. Amen.